Father God, we again come to you boldly because uh, you've requested that we do so. In other words, the path to the throne of grace is clear. There is nothing standing in the way of your dear ones coming to you boldly. So, Father, I thank you that we can do that. And it's entirely based upon the completed and shed the completed work, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, paying the penalty for all of our sins. So many do not know this. They don't even know the gospel. They don't understand the full and free redemption that is offered simply by believing on our Lord Jesus Christ, that he truly did accomplish this great work for which he was sent. And the proof of it being his glorious resurrection and his uh, now uh, presence, Father, at your very right hand there in heaven's glory, physically and bodily raised from the dead and waiting for that time when uh, uh, here on this earth things will uh, dramatically change. And Father, thank you that before that time we'll be caught up as your children to be with you and then always to be in your presence. So, Father, we're so thankful for that. Uh, thank you that we have this heavenly hope and that uh, even now we're experiencing many blessings uh, here, though we're still on this earth and experiencing what so many others also are experiencing and enduring. Father, I pray for our nation and its leaders, especially our president and those that serve with him and those that uh, on every level then of government that are looking to um, be a blessing for our people to minimize the effect of this uh, enemy, this invisible enemy that's uh, attacking many and increasingly more over time. Father, I pray that that would soon level off that level of attack and that we would be then brought back uh, in a more into a more uh, safe zone. Father, I, I pray that those who would rather have chaos because it will foster their own political agenda, uh, that they would be defeated and, and that the enemy of our souls would be defeated through all of this. For surely he's wrecking havoc in the hearts uh, of so many and in the lives of so many today. Father, I pray for uh, missionaries in the foreign field probably experiencing what we can't even imagine here in this uh, wealthy nation comparatively speaking. So, Father, I just pray for those with great anxieties. We're thankful and we praise you, Father, for uh, all that you've done and for all things, knowing that everything's under your control, not ours, but yours. All we can do is to uh, see what you're doing and to fall in line with that. So, Father, we pray for our governments that they would do that same thing and that they'd have great wisdom. Father, as we open your word now, I pray that you'd watch over us and bless us. And may this word be a blessing to us. And may each of us be drawn into the sphere of your grace in a special way. Not only now as we open your word, but in the days to come, Father, there are many challenges that are uh, about to uh, 
perhaps confuse us or, or, or even would lead us astray from confident reliance upon you. Father, I pray that we'd rest in the sufficiency of your grace and find that always to be there and always to be available. For you've promised, Father, it shall never fail, nor shall your love ever be taken from us. And we just thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's a great privilege again to open God's word together. We're in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians and uh, chapter four today, uh, which I would uh, put a title on, which is how we live awaiting is coming is most important. How we live awaiting is coming is most important. After all, when um, believers are under great trial and stress, uh, there are many temptations to always uh, turn to ourselves, to our own strength and abilities and wisdom, when really it is the wisdom of the Lord and his strength that is most important. The challenges seem to get uh, even more abundant during times of trial. So <clears throat> as we await his coming and what Paul has been writing about in the Thessalonian letter where we were last time in chapter three is that awaiting his coming changes really our viewpoint concerning everything. But this life is a preparation for eternity, right? And uh, that's how believers should certainly see it. So how we live awaiting his coming is most, most important. I'd like to begin today just with introducing uh, our study with quoting from something written nearly 500 years ago, actually probably a little more than 500, because I believe it was probably written in the year 1508 when the bubonic plague was spreading through Europe. The plague was spreading, it had come to Germany, and uh, Martin Luther wrote a letter to his fellow servant in the gospel, John Hess, and what he, I'm going to quote from that letter because it's so relevant to where we are today. This is what Martin Luther wrote, this would be approximately 511 years ago. Now, he was asked, by the way, you know, how, how will you respond in this plague that's threatening us all? And this is what Luther, Luther wrote. Whether one may flee from a deadly plague, plague, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall, let me read that again, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, 
he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. So wrote Martin Luther so long ago, right? And uh, let's take that heart, to heart. If you'd like a, a link to that, uh, those words, just let me know. I could send it to you. Okay, well, in our meeting last week, uh, we looked at the entirety of the third chapter of First Thessalonians, and uh, we saw how relevant Paul's teaching there was to the very times in which we are living today, perhaps even more relevant than we may have realized a week ago. Here we are today. Things have developed further, right? So we see how relevant Scripture is to our current times. Now, the Thessalonian believers were in a time of great persecution. Uh, and uh, apparently, false teachers had come into the assembly after uh, the Apostle Paul had left them behind and, and had gone on in his missionary journeys. False teachers had come and had uh, contradicted Paul's teaching uh, concerning the return of the Lord. And uh, as a result, uh, after some time had passed and some of their own assembly had died, which I guess they had not uh, expected, um, their lives were being turned upside down, not only for the grief of it and the loss of having loved, lost loved ones, but because they had lost their hope, uh, as Paul had expressed it to them. And I believe that was for the uh, pre-tribulational return of the Lord, right? We'll see much more about that as we go on here in First Thessalonians in the weeks to come and then in Second Thessalonians, where this teaching is very uh, much in detail. So they had really lost sight on what had been taught them by Paul. Um, one of the things they didn't want to think of, it seems, is that hard times might come. Even though they were going to be delivered from the uh, Great Tribulation period, nevertheless, hard times uh, might come to them. And in fact, Paul had told them that that would be their experience. Uh, he said, you will suffer great persecution. Hard times are coming your way. And uh, apparently, uh, maybe through the false teachers, they had lost that sense of urgency and had thought instead that God had promised them something much easier, something much more humanly uh, enjoyable than what they'd come to, to find in life. So hard times had come, though, and uh, so Paul, uh, hearing of their need, sends Timothy to them to find out their situation in detail, and Timothy returns, and as a result of that update on what's happening in Thessalonica, through Timothy, Paul writes this first letter to them. It's one of the first letters uh, written in the New Testament, if not the very, very first. And so what Paul's writing here 
is writing he's writing at a time when the believers are suffering very greatly in ways I think we today can hardly grasp onto at all. We've lived in a nation where abundance is very prevalent, right? Not all share it, but many have. Many through their own hard efforts, others it came their way, right? Uh, many have enjoyed the, the blessings of that. It's easy to think that somehow that's what God has promised to us. That is not the case. He has not promised that to us. If anything, he's told us we'll suffer persecution, right? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And the persecution we're experiencing in this country today is nothing compared to what believers down through history have experienced. So let's uh, give a quick overview. I want to quickly get into our lesson for today because it's uh, a very uh, weighty subject indeed and uh, one that we need to consider carefully. But just so we don't forget what uh, has gone before here in the third chapter of this letter. Paul writes in the beginning of chapter 3 that no one in Thessalonica should be, he says, should be moved by these great afflictions. This is 1 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. He says, you yourselves know that we're appointed thereunto. Well, how often is the gospel preached today and the believers who uh, have, have joined the fold through that preaching are taught this, that the times and the trials will be great, right? Usually it's just the opposite. People are told they can have a better life. They can have everything they ever dreamed through some false gospel. The true gospel is somewhat different. It has to do with sin and the payment for sin through our precious Savior's great sacrifice, right? Uh, and how believers are called to heavenly glory. And this life here is merely a preparation for that, right? Uh, so he says to them here in chapter 3, you shouldn't be moved by these afflictions. In other words, you shouldn't be defeated you shouldn't be so anxious. You shouldn't be fearful. Um, and uh, he says, then the next verse, when we were with you, remember he was there for only three and a half weeks or so, but he says, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Even as it came to pass, and you know, but they had forgotten. And Paul writes in the next verse, he says, I sent to know your faith. He sent Timothy to them to find out exactly what was going on. And what he says here then in the last part of verse 5 in chapter 3 is, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. He had taught them how to rest in the Lord. The issue wasn't that they may have lost their salvation. The issue was they may have lost their joy. Okay? They may have lost their confidence in the Lord himself, right, and his promise to them. Now, 
he wanted, therefore, to correct their misunderstandings. And so in verse 10 of chapter 3, he says, Night and day I'm praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. In your faith. Okay. So Paul felt that their faith had been adjusted, perhaps even by the evil one. That would be a sad thing indeed, because what he wanted to see was the fruit of believing and resting in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he writes to them, if possible, I will come to you. But so far, Satan has interfered even with my uh, desire to return to see your face. So that's how it had gone. Now, uh, what Paul does, though, is is that he he's setting the stage here by setting himself up as, as an example. He will sacrifice greatly in order to come to them again and see their face because he cares so much about them and their circumstances. He's not going to be able to address their physical needs particularly, probably, but he's certainly able to help them spiritually. And that's his greatest concern. And so at the end of chapter 3, he says, uh, well, even though I'm not now able to come to see your face and to uh, help to uh, make your faith more mature by teaching you uh, the truths of Christ again and concerning his special uh, plan for us believers, right? But he says, uh, nevertheless, here in the letter I'm writing to you, I'd like you to, this is the end of chapter three. Uh, he says, I'd like you to know that um, the Lord uh, desires to work in you. He says, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay, so what, what Paul is seeking in the Thessalonians is a godly response to their trials. He says, be careful, the enemy of your heart may want to steal away your joy in the Lord, do not allow that for a moment, right? And do not compromise. And don't compromise in your uh, life either because this life is a preparation for eternity. So he says, don't forget the Lord is coming and we'll be caught up to be together with him. Every chapter in each of these letters in some way or another Usually right at the very end, he mentions the return of the Lord for his saints. Okay, so Paul here is laying the foundation. Now, chapter four takes off right where chapter three ends. You know that in the original, there are no chapter divisions. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> so really the chapter there ends with a, a prayer to God that he might work in the Thessalonians in such a way that uh, the blessings were, will overwhelm them as they wait confidently for the return of the Lord. And the blessings of the Lord will overwhelm them to the extent that even their daily lives are transformed. It's the Lord's work, not ours, that Paul is looking for there 
in Thessalonica. Okay, let's go on now. And uh, <clears throat> our outline today is that Paul had set the example. And if you've been with us here on Sunday mornings, uh, first of all, as we went through Philippians verse by verse recently, and now First uh, Thessalonians, Paul's example is highlighted so very often, right, in his letters. And uh, the time comes for those that have taken Paul's teaching to heart, the time comes to begin more seriously to imitate Paul the way he imitated Christ. Remember, that was his exhortation, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so that's what we have here in chapter four. He begins by by saying how important it is uh, to uh, really take to heart this special teaching that he's provided to them. He says, my example needs to be applied now. You're in a time of great trial. <laughs> Let us not forget that. Let's apply my example to your own life. And he says, if we do, we'll all love one another. So that's the first point, we'll, that we all love one another. The second part today will be that Paul's teaching includes even the most difficult of issues. There were some issues in the Thessalonian church. Uh, he did not ever castigate those believers, but only praise them. But the challenges were there, nevertheless, in times of trial. And there were great challenges in the area of marriage. And he uh, he's going to address that issue. It's a, one of the most difficult issues Paul addresses in his various letters marriage and sexuality it's a very important teaching and then the third point is that he makes an exhortation towards brotherly love which is absolutely fundamental um, brotherly love is to be the key to living in these times of trial brotherly love and it's not something you have to work up it's not something you need a special technique for or method as is being taught in the mega churches or through all the pulp fiction put out under a christian title <clears throat> but uh, the the uh, the teaching we need for this is found there very uh, clearly presented in paul's letters so let's just go there to read it take it to heart and apply it. So first of all, Paul's example now needs to be applied, and that means we should all love one another. Okay, let's start out. Linda, I'd like you to read uh, there that uh, exhortation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Linda. Okay. <clears throat> there is so much here I could spend the whole time just on this. I won't do that. Uh, but I do want you to know that what we have here are, are really just pointers to other teachings that the, the Apostle Paul has given in most of his letters, if not all of them. And those pointers are over to what he has written regarding 
the revelation that he is bringing to believers through these letters which he writes the letters paul writes are not just giving us his opinions or his interpretation on this or that if it were only that we wouldn't have to uh, take them so seriously would we no that's not the truth at all uh, <clears throat> And if I had the time today, uh, in fact, you can go to the notes. Uh, I'll be posting them later today, but and see what all the cross references are on this. But but Paul writes uh, with authority from the Lord, and the words he writes are the words given. It is the Holy Spirit doing the uh, uh, the controlling of what words go onto the page of these letters, as Paul writes them, right? But the, the teaching is given by the Lord to Paul, and uh, that's how he knows the mind of the Lord, right? It is through direct revelation. Okay, so uh, what we see here are a number of things. One, look at the language he uses. He says, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. In the, in the Greek language, it's through the means of or through the instrumentality of the lord jesus himself okay that that's what paul says there and then when you get to verse two he says you know what commandments we gave you by the lord jesus okay so this instruction is directly from the lord this is not paul writing as a as a man who happens to know a lot about god or or the old testament or something like that it's not that at all that's why I never recommend red letter Bibles for people. That tends to imply very strongly that only certain things that are written there are truly inspired of God, namely the, the words of Christ uh, in his earthly ministry predominantly, right? Um, and the rest of the Bible isn't to be taken that seriously. Well, that would be a total mistake, right? Uh, so he says... These are the words of Christ, uh, indeed, uh, through me to you in this letter. Okay. Now, Paul was taught often by the risen and ascended Lord. Uh, you can read about that in Acts chapter 26, verse 16, and I've given you other references here in the notes. But uh, what Paul is writing is what the Lord gave to him. So when he emphasizes over and over again how what he's writing is the word of the Lord, he doesn't mean that in kind of a weak sense, that somehow the Lord is influencing him, but in a strong sense, okay? Uh, the words that he writes are, in fact, the very, very word of the Lord Jesus. Now, once in a while, Paul will write in a different fashion to show that he knows the difference <laughs> between what words are the words of the Lord and what words are not. Sometimes it is only his opinion. Um, in uh, in uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, verse 37, Paul writes this. He says, if any man think himself to be a prophet or a spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Okay. But earlier in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, he's, he writes this, quite a different kind of statement. Now, concerning virgins, I have no, no commandment of the Lord. Yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. 
So Paul knew the difference between his own opinions and those that were directly of the Lord. And his own recommendations were one thing. The commandments of the Lord were something else, right? Paul knew the difference. And don't ever forget it, okay? It's very important to realize that. Um, in these days when so many are turning away from Pauline truth, let us rather cleave more strongly to that truth and the truth of grace revealed through Paul. It'll change our lives day by day and hour by hour to do so. Let's get now to our main subject today, which is the subject of marriage. Marriage. Paul's teaching here to the Thessalonians even includes the most difficult of issues. He doesn't skip over things like is like so common today. In fact, let me just make this uh, side comment. Uh, today's weak and ineffective churches, whatever their size, because size is never a measure of spiritual effectiveness, never. But today's weak and effective, ineffective churches are failing for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the one Paul mentions here, worldliness and carnality. Okay, And that's often expressed in the area of sexuality. Okay, That's why much talk today is about that, because in our fallen uh, world and culture, uh, it's hardly Judeo-Christian any longer, right? It once was largely, but now hardly. Right. So many, even the, uh, those uh, leading churches, even those who are considered the leaders of the evangelical church, uh, are so often blinded by a false view of the church and openly welcome what the apostle condemns right here in this letter and also in many others of his letters. So let's read now what he writes concerning God's high standards for the members of the church the body of Christ. And what we'll see is that his standards are even higher, perhaps, <laughs> than we have realized. Okay. Uh, how much higher? Well, it depends on to what degree we enter into the teaching, right? Uh, he's not chastising these believers, though, but he's rather setting the bar very, very high. The conduct God expects is what we are reading about here. Okay, so, Charlie, would you read for us, first of all, there uh, in uh, verses 3 through 5? Yep. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Okay, thank you, Charlie. This is uh, a very strong statement, but this statement is not nearly as strong as what's written in other places, um, especially in the first letter to the Corinthians. Don't forget to mute again there. Uh, okay. Uh, not nearly as strong as the letter written to the Corinthians because the Corinthian church had severely deviated from the path that the Apostle Paul had laid down for them when he was there. Paul was in Corinth for 18 months. 
he was in Thessalonica for three and a half weeks. <laughs> but I don't think that difference is the important one. It said these believers here had not really gone very far astray compared to those in Corinth in this, this area of, uh, as he says here, possessing one's vessel. That's one's own human body, right? Possessing one's vessel in sanctification and honor. Okay, so note what he says here. He says, the, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Uh, so in several ways there, he describes the issue. Well, the church is not of the world. God's completely taken us out of the world, right? In fact, we're seated at the right hand of, of God in the heavenlies with Christ, right? But we're still living in the world, and the world system is all about us. It's so easy to be influenced by it, therefore. The culture of their day, that ancient time in which Paul's writing this letter, the ancient and the pagan culture was thoroughly corrupt regarding this issue of marriage and sexuality. Thoroughly corrupt. In the Corinthian case, Many of the believers had come right out of the temple worship. <laughs> in fact, they were saved right out of that environment. Many of the women who were saved and who became members of the Corinthian assembly uh, had left all of that behind, right? Um, but uh, here in Thessalonica, it, it was probably the same to some degree, right? So much had been left behind, but there were still temptations. Satan was still seeking to devour uh, God's people. Now, God's standard, though, is higher than, than high. <laughs> this is the will of God, even your sanctification, right? If we're going to talk about the will of God, it is a terrible, disgraceful thing to talk about it apart from holiness of living, right? Of course, it is the will of God that we live our lives in holiness. And so that's what we find written of here. And he uses some strong words to communicate that. But really, the standard is higher than we might have thought, as I said a moment ago. I'd like, uh, Gail, if you'd read First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 to make it clear. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Thank you, Gail. Well, he ends with a statement there regarding the Holy Spirit, because uh, clearly, when it comes to the temptations uh, of the flesh, uh, often they seem so powerful that how can one resist, right? But what he's saying basically is that every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling within. We also have a new nature. 
within that causes us to desire what God desires, right? And we have the, uh, the ascended life of Christ dwelling within us as well. So there, there is no uh, lack of power to live a godly life. No one has an excuse, therefore. We can't say, oh, the times are, are tough. Uh, uh, <laughs> there is no hope. Therefore, we can live like we, like we choose. Well, there is much, much hope always. For the believer, even these believers in Thessalonica who were in this perhaps very desperate situation, uh, were not clear on exactly all that was involved in that, but even they uh, uh, were exhorted to the Lord uh, in such a high way as this. Notice he's writing to the brothers. Okay, now I don't think the sisters are left out. The same application can be applied to them. But he's writing to the brothers for a reason. And that's because in the plan of God, remember, God created Adam and then he created Eve. Adam was to watch over and care for Eve. He was responsible for Eve, in other words, and for her condition spiritually. Okay. Now, after the fall, he was still responsible for her. Uh, and Paul uh, sets up... Uh, that uh, created order uh, as an example for us in the in the marriage, right? Husbands are supposed to be so concerned for their wives that they watch over them, that they protect them. They will do anything necessary to maintain their purity. But to go beyond marriage. In, in a sexual way is to defraud, therefore, another person. Okay, God set up, set up this order. Marriage is the norm for humanity. Not all are called into it, but it is the norm. Okay, husbands have such a great responsibility, far beyond what we might have ever thought uh, in in regard to our wives. Um, Paul writes in the first letter to the Corinthians about another aspect of this, too, just to highlight what I'm saying now, which is the responsibility of, uh, of, the, of the men, right? He says in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians that fathers are even responsible for their daughters at the highest level and shouldn't give them over into marriage unwisely. Okay, so fathers are responsible for their daughters. Husbands are responsible for their wives. And we're talking here about living a life of purity and honor, right? So that means a lot. It means a lot. And Paul's writing to believers who are in a time of trial, and apparently some had begun to lose uh, their grasp on these truths. And that's why Paul writes to them so strongly here. Okay. Um, as I said, marriage is the norm. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Nevertheless, to avoid, avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Okay. So that is the goal for believers. 
Sex outside of marriage is never going to please God. It cannot. And it breaks uh, the relationship uh, that God has uh, placed upon us and given to us as such a great gift, the gift of marriage, right? Um, there's much more that could be said, but let's move along. Um, brotherly love is really at the key of everything. And notice he's just exhorted the brothers, right? And now he's going to get to the subject of, in more general terms of brotherly love, okay? <laughs> and, and that is uh, a very special thing to consider, and that's... Uh, where we've come here. Anne, would you please read those two verses for us in in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Okay. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Thank you, Anne. <clears throat> so no special methods or programs are needed. You don't need a technique in order to somehow work up love for the brethren. <laughs> he says, I don't even need to teach you about it because God's the one who teaches you. Okay? Love is the first segment of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Okay? So he says, don't get off track. Don't let Satan influence you through the world or through other persons. But uh, consider your lives in this world, even though you may suffer greatly, to be opportunities to show forth character, honor, and the high standards that uh, God himself is teaching you. Okay. You are taught of God to love one another, okay? And he means to love with agape love, right? To love one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. They're already doing it, but he says that you may increase more and more. And in times of trial, Often it's the opposite that happens, okay? Uh, many times people uh, start to think only of themselves and not of others. So I would exhort all, all of those who hear my voice today, all in our group here and those that you know, listen later, uh, when we're more closely together in families, let's uh, reap the benefits of that, right? Rebuilding relationships. Uh, understanding the blessing of each one and the uniqueness of each one in our uh, family structure. Uh, husbands and wives, the same, right? Let's uh, build our uh, relationships. May they be more and more uh, intimate uh, as the days go on. Uh, our standards may be very much lower than the Lord's, but as we read here, they should not be. They should be as high as his and even heavenly. Uh, let's uh, close today with a verse that I think <laughs> summarizes everything because we come uh, into the body of faith, the body of believers, sometimes with much baggage. I mean, especially if you're saved later in life, 
he may come in with a lot of baggage. <laughs> That's never supposed to uh, weigh us down because we've left it all behind, right? But uh, such was uh, Paul's uh, uh, statement to the Corinthians, and I'd like Ben to read it for us. It's an absolutely tremendous verse. I hope we never forget it. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Um, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of, of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Thank you, Ben. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church in which there are many issues, one of which is uh, so serious. Uh, he has to write two letters with that as a, as a major focus, right? Um, some had truly turned away from the Lord and into carnality. But what he writes here is he says, such were some of you. In other words, you may be acting in a way that doesn't glorify the Lord, that, but that does not signify that you're unsaved. What it signifies is that you should turn away and move ahead because you, he says, are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified, even declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Well, with that as the foundation for living, how can we uh, turn aside? How can we go wrong? Uh, if Christ gave so much that we might have his holiness even, uh, how should we respond to him, right? So praise the Lord. Be encouraged. Uh, may these uh, burdens that have come upon us never be overwhelming because our hope is in the Lord. And he's always there. I like to think of an analogy, and the one I like to think of is his hand is upon us. Indeed it is. We are his dearly beloved ones. So don't forget that. And uh, let's go on and do what's needed in this life. But never forget, uh, this life is merely a preparation for eternity, right? Okay, any uh, questions uh, or uh, comments would be welcome. Okay. Well, let's let's uh, let's thank the Lord and pray that He watch over us little ones. Father God, thank you, thank you for caring so well from us for us each one of us. We can easily think back and remember how you intersected with our lives uh, in times when uh, we were. <laughs> In our minds astray, we, we were wondering about things maybe it already worked in our lives in certain ways, and we were just not so aware that it was you. But uh, uh, then you came directly into our lives and made the difference. You brought us into contact with those who would share the Lord with us, or you uh, led us into your word of truth, and we opened it uh, to the words we needed, or... Uh, we were invited into a group and uh, heard your word preached. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for intersecting with us where we were. Though we were but sinners, uh, yet uh, uh, you loved us. 
and uh, had sent your son for us. So, Father, thank you so much that uh, by simple faith, not not through our, wor our works at all, but through simple faith, you've drawn us to yourself and saved us. May we live lives now that reflect uh, that great work of our Lord Jesus. May his perfect love, therefore, be reflected in us daily, hourly, and moment by moment. Keep us pure and keep us uh, focused on that which is eternally valuable. And we would ask that in Christ's name and, and amen.